are listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. In this episode, I chat with Chuck. Chuck is well known in the art circles of Shreveport, Louisiana. We talk about art in the local art scene, K-pop, Wald Newton, cartooning, and why he is really not an asshole. If you ask him, he'd say he's an okay guy, and I tend to agree. Here's Chuck's story. My name is Chuck Lordens, and I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm 54 years old. my main job, bread and butter job, is I'm a groundskeeper at Oshner's LSUL Health Shreveport. Uh, and after that, I go and I teach different types of art to kids at the Rinzi Center. And I, I, I'm kind of an artist myself. I don't necessarily try to sell things professionally a lot, but I just like to make art. I'm, I like to think of myself as very creative and you know there's a lot of uh mediums and genres i like to dabble in i would consider you actually a a local celebrity in the art scene oh uh a local asshole maybe (laughs) i don't know Uh, yeah (laughs) i uh i'm known by some people not a lot of the younger people might not know me but I mean, you and I go way back in the uh, in the local art scene, all the way back to the '80s. Uh, I remember uh, my entry to the to Shreveport art scene was hanging out with with uh, you and Debbie Allen, you know, and meeting people like uh, Mike Harold and hanging out at Artist Transit, uh, Bart yeah. Gross, uh, Joe DeSanta, so many, so many, uh, so many incredible artists. You know, I was just mostly you know, hanging out and just being a wide-eyed kid and watching what you guys were doing. But, yeah. That was a while back. You mentioned the Renzi Center. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Okay, the Renzi Center is an after-school program. It was started by our Sisters of Holy Sorrows uh, teaming up with uh, an incredible local artist named Donna Service. And they took two old houses on a what's normally considered kind of a dangerous street and turned them into an after-school program uh, one one house has academics where kids get after they get homework help uh, math stuff like that and then there's the art house where you got like some of the most interesting colorful artists in Shreveport and Bossier uh, teaching kids their their uh, craft that's where you hang out mostly is the the art center yeah 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 that's uh that's where my heart lives it's uh it's uh it's over on egan street near where the old coca-cola bottling plant is and i've actually been there longer than any other teacher i, I started in 1999 and i've taught uh cartooning helped the kids make their own comic books uh just regular drawing acting improv we did radio shows and uh, now I'm doing a filmmaking class there too, doing, making short films. My the first thing I ever did with the Renzi Center was 
Uh, and it was mostly Donna Service was the one that uh, that asked me to do it because back in the days of neon Saturday nights, uh, I used to make these. I, I made like giant monster costumes uh, out of paper mache, and I would uh, walk around the square because back in the day, those days, Shrek did interesting stuff like that. Shreveport Regional Arts Council. Uh, they had a thing called Neon Saturday Night, was a big, which was a big arts festival, and they would hire local artists to come up with concepts, and that was a concept I came up with from watching old Godzilla movies, and I said, I want to dress up like a giant monster and walk around downtown. So Donna Service remembered that, and the first thing that I did with the Renzi Center was a summer theatrical production of Stuart Little. It was an adaptation of Stuart Little. And she hired me to do costumes, which is I thought was bizarre at first because I don't sew, but it was because I'd made the paper mache costume. So uh, I did that. The next year we did another play. The next year we did another play. The whole time I was doing costuming. And uh, shortly after that, like the next year, we lost the place where we did plays, the, the venue. And uh, I suggested to Donna that we make short films instead. So it became a film camp. We did that for about... 10 years, and then uh, they couldn't, my job wouldn't allow me to take three weeks off in the summer for that. So then we, uh, I think it was um, Christy uh, Kirkley's idea to turn it into a music video camp. So that's what we do now. But yeah, uh, after doing that first play, uh, Donna Service asked me if I wanted to come back and just teach in the fall. And so I did, and I've been doing it ever since. It's coming up on 20 years for me. What's the age range of the kids you work with? Uh, seven to seventeen. Oh, I didn't realize they were that old. Some of them. Yes, yeah, so, I mean they usually when they get you know they start going through puberty and they're more interested in you know being teenagers and stuff and very very rarely do they hang out up to seventeen. But it has happened. You know we we have had some groups of uh of teens that love the Renzi Center so much that you know they just hung out. How do the students uh, get into the program? Well, there's there's a little bit of a waiting list, but you you uh, you call the number. It's it, you can find it online. You call up and uh, ask if there's any openings, and it's free. It's absolutely free. And you got kids from the inner city, you know, in there side by side, drawing and coloring, and you know, making things right next to kids from more affluent neighborhoods. It's a it's a beautiful thing. How has it affected your life and your art? Well. It reminds me, it, it, it's, effect, it's affected my life because it's like it's it's my purpose. It's uh it's it's really what I live for. Uh, I, I when I was a kid, I was one of those kids that was always being sent out in the hall for being disruptive and so forth. And now uh, I get to work with those same kids because I remember there were a few teachers who saw beyond you know me being just a little jerk and saw that I actually had some talent somewhere and it's like I, I like finding that in these kids it's like some of these kids don't even know these have these talents and you know I help them discover it and that's that's very gratifying I, I love working with the kids it's it's like I'm a, a, a kid the thing the thing about kids kids are the most naturally gifted artists they're they're the they're the most pure artists because when you're a kid the thought goes right from your brain to the canvas or to the paper, or whatever it is you're doing, without any fear of what anybody else thinks. When you start getting older, it goes from your brain to, well, what is that person going to think? Is it going to impress that person? Is it going to make? Is it going to make me any money? And and it's no longer pure. 
So children, so children are the are the the best artists because their their work is pure because it goes straight from their head to the canvas. Yeah, it's like a, a lot of well-known artists kind of strive for that look to to go back to the time of their childhood and, and achieve that spontaneity and uh, uh, look of their art, like Picasso and. Well, Picasso himself, I think it was a quote where he said, all children are artists. The, the struggle is remaining one when you become an adult, you know, after basically, and this is me adding to his quote, but just basically after a lot of times it gets beaten out of you. You know, you're told not to uh, mess around with foolishness like that, you know, and and if, if you can't draw with photorealism, people just say like, well, why are you still doing this? You know, which which is ridiculous. I uh, asked some of our list, I mean, some of our uh, patrons on Facebook if they wanted to ask you a couple of questions. What would that be? So I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you one of those right now. Okay. From Kathleen T. Where did the persona, the Savage Chuck, come from? Okay. Well, back in the day, we used to. Uh, I was a part of the whole group that was a part that was uh, involved with the Center for Contemporary Arts and. You know, and, and you knew this name was going to come in eventually. Donna Moore, who was my mentor, my best friend, my sister, uh, everything. She was everything to me, and and the most incredible artist this area has ever known. I'm a little biased, but you know, I just think she was the most. She did the murals at the Strand, as you well know, because she loved you too, Michael. We were getting ready for uh, a performance night that uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was hosting it, and he asked me if I wanted to do anything. And I remember because you know I. I've always read comic books, Tarzan novels, uh, science fiction, fantasy. I am, you know, complete and utter geek. I absolutely, you know, live on this stuff. And I remember one time, I think I was living in the garage apartment behind my older brother's house. And for some reason, I just woke up. Uh, I was getting dressed for work, and I just started singing the Savage Chuck, the Savage Chuck, the Savage, 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 Savage Chuck. And it was just kind of an absent-minded thing. And then I said this could be a performance piece. And I put together a loincloth from an old caveman costume. This is, this was in the, uh, I think this was in the nineties. Yeah. It was in the mid nineties or late nineties when I did this. And I, I did this whole thing where I came out talking like this, holding a plastic sword and introduced myself as a savage truck and sang my theme song, wrestled inflatable dinosaurs to the Johnny quest theme song. And Donna Moore came out dressed as the black, Power Ranger and lectured me about the evils of smoking, and mm -hmm. my my friend and collaborator Michael Stone came out as Commando Mike and you know was a part of it. You know it was just a fun collaboration and we had a really good audience. And so for years after that, I could just be walking down the street and some I would yell out Savage Chuck. So that's that was the origin of that. And Kathleen T is well aware of that as she was there at that performance and. Uh, you know, a close member of our little clique. Yeah, and I think the MC of, for that night was uh, Joe Arts. That, yeah, yeah. The, I remember he was wearing like a a, a top hat, like a magician's yes. top hat. Yes. Yeah. And his friend, um, God, what was his name? Who did the uh, accordion? Uh, Cornpone. Cornpone. God, I man, think. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. See, see, these these kids today don't even know. They don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this one's from Mimi W. Yeah. What are your good buddy? What are your autistic artistic influences over the years? Okay. Well, uh, you were one. Oh well, thank you, <laughs> Michael, Michael G. Moore. Of course, Donna Moore. No relation. 
Donna Service, uh, George Burton the poet, George Burton the third, uh, Drew Hunter, also known as Doctor Blood, was a uh, was an influence on me at in my teen years. Yeah, you were involved uh, with the, with theater with him, right? And and even before that, uh, I lived in this weird mountain town that my mom moved me to when I was 13 or 14 and I mean everybody there was related to each other and everybody was hardcore conservative and pretty racist but there was this one teacher I had named Mrs. Haley she goes by the name Jinx Haley and she was like super liberal and she taught the English and grammar classes but she also started the theater group and she saw potential this is in junior high and she was just awesome I remember her standing up when talking about Shakespeare and said that yes, Shakespeare was bisexual, and several of these, you know, group, 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 oh, he's a fag, and she said, don't <laughs> you dare call him that. And she's this. This was in the uh, this was in the seventies. This was like seventy eight, in a redneck mountain town. And she said, there's nothing wrong with being gay. You know, in in a, in a school where other teachers had like the Confederate flag symbols on their belt buckles, she had <laughs> she had the guts to say that. And I'm proud to say that she's one of my Facebook friends today. She's completely awesome. But yeah, the, uh, Michael Michael Harold was an influence. His uh, Debbie, our mutual friend Debbie Allen, was a big influence on me. Now, was the question friends who are artists or just artists in general? Well, it could be anybody, really. Edgar Rice Burroughs is the guy who wrote Tarzan. Philip Jose Farmer, who was a huge influence on me. Jack Kirby, uh, Joe Kubert, uh, so many. So you know, so many of my favorite comic book writers and artists all of these all of these people influence me yeah that brings uh, us into a question from Teresa M when yeah. and why did you come to love cartooning and superheroes so much well I mean I don't understand how anybody does it yeah it's, just, <laughs> it's I remember uh, loving comic books before I can even read and that was one of the reasons I wanted to learn that I picked up reading so fast because I I had to know what was going on in those stories I mean you know to a certain extent the sequential art you know, already told the story, but I had to know everything. And I just remember early superhero comics and cartoons and just, you know, that's the fantasy of, you know, back back then the fantasy was being a hero and somebody who was important and, you know, having these powers that you can use to help people and have adventures. And, you know, sadly nowadays more about just, you know, who's the biggest badass. But back then it was about, it was the fantasy of being someone who, could actually help people. Somebody who was super powerful and, you know, the whole Spider-Man thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, the opposite of Ayn Rand. Do you think the uh, market is oversaturated now? Oh, hell no. I've, God, there's so much good stuff out there. I've loved all the Marvel all the Marvel movies. Uh, just this, this Friday, they premiered the Doom Patrol on the DC Universe app, the streaming app, and it's just... It's my. It's always been my favorite comic book, uh, Super Team, and the the show is incredible. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it to you. I think you'd love it, Michael. It's just it's incredible. It's you can do stuff with uh, the superhero genre that you can't do in anything else. I mean, th this is our mythology. This is this is this is our this is the myths for our modern age. And no, it's not oversaturated. It's uh, I love the fact that, you know, I, when I was in high school, I was a closet comic book reader. I was afraid I'd, if I was in a Circle K, 
and any girls walked in, I would put the comic down and pick up a Sports Illustrated, even though I don't give a flying fuck about football or sports, because I was ashamed, because it was like back then that was, you'd be ostracized if you were over the age of 12 and you still loved comic books. Nowadays, it's a lot more accepted, but, and I do love the fact that it's mainstream now. From uh, Bradley M., what is your interest in K-pop all about, and how has it changed your life? Okay, um, I, you know, I, I used to love the, the, a lot of punk and new wave, and, and for some reason, I, w- I was working with some younger guys in our truck, our work truck, and they kept it on uh, certain radio stations where it was just, you know, all the songs were about fucking, or, or violence, or, you know, how much drugs you're going to sell and I'm going to beat that pussy up. And, you know, I just, and it was like, I started, I started just for the stuff that I listened to on my personal listening device, my MP3 player. I just started like going back to like just really good pop bubblegum stuff from like the sixties and seventies because it was just, it, it just, it calmed me and, and made me happy. So, um, one of my students at the Renzi Center a couple of years ago asked to listen to, from my phone, she asked if I would play this one song on my phone called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And I was like, what? I thought she was talking about the old band from the 70s, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. So I put it in, and it was this boy K-pop group called BTS. And uh, and the song is very interesting. The video is a work of art. But uh, I watched that on my YouTube account. So when I got home and turned on my Roku uh, to watch YouTube on the big screen to catch up on my nerd stuff, it started suggesting all these K-pop songs. And a lot of them were like girl K-pop songs. And it just, it's, they're just so positive. They don't stick to any one genre of music. The music's are a, the music is a, like a, a combination of like current hip hop with um, 60s and 70s bubble gum, with a little bit of disco thrown in, everything, you know, very, there, there's melodies, and there'll be, there's like, some of the groups have nine members in them, and every member of the group takes a turn at singing. It's kind of like picture of Diana Ross and the Supremes was just the Supremes, and Diana Ross sang a verse, and then stepped over, and Mary Wilson stepped in the middle and started singing, while Diana Ross saying back up and back up dance for her forgive my ignorance forgive my ignorance but uh k-pop k stands for korean korean okay it's south from south korea and it's like when they when they split off from north korea they got their own identity and this this the music just makes me extremely happy and one, one of the things i got to go with my best friend misha farrell uh she took me to houston uh for my birthday and I got to see my absolute favorite K-pop group, Oh My Girl, in concert. And it was a religious experience. And <laughs> yes. I'm so thankful to her. I love her so much. And she, she enjoyed it with me, but it was just, it was incredible. But yeah, I, I think you'd like some K-pop. I remember uh, working with you in your studio one time. I was making this big paper mache head, and you played this uh, CD of a group called Echo Belly. And I, I think I stole that CD from you because it just, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't depressing stuff, and she had this great, upbeat, peppy voice, and, you know, uh, that's like really good, really good bubblegum, even though it's talking about some, uh, you know, the lyrics are very poetic and everything, but yeah, I, that, I really like that, but K-pop even uh, kicks it up a notch, so it's, 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 uh, it's the music I love, and, you know, most people, most people, 
most people hate it. You know, a lot of people, they hear it and they, oh, K-pop, what's wrong with you? But it's like, I'm 54. I don't have guilty pleasures anymore. I like what I like, you know, and it just makes that. I'm out, I'm working, I'm at work using a chainsaw and I've like got K-pop girl groups in my MP3 player and it, just, it gives me <laughs> energy and makes me happy. Uh, oh My Girl, Twice, and G-Friend are my three favorite groups. Uh, now yeah. I, I want to ask you about Wald Newton. Wald Newton, okay. When I was, uh, you know, I told you my, my favorite fictional character of all time is Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, started becoming fascinated in him from the old Johnny Weissmuller movies that they showed on Dialing for Dollars Theater and uh, reading the Joe Kubert DC comics and then discovering the Tarzan novels at the library across the street when I was 10 years old. And I just fell in love with them. And also discovered a really cool old pulp character called Doc Savage that they were reprinting in paperbacks around that same time. One year I was... Uh, visiting a library, I think in Bossier City, I think I was uh, 11 or 12, and I was walking by the biography section and I saw a book that said Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life. I was like, oh, Doc Savage. And it was weird that it was in the biography section. And I, I opened it up and there was this family tree that showed that Tarzan, Doc Savage, James Bond, Sherlock Holmes, Horatio Hornblower, uh, so many great fictional characters were all part of this family tree, and I checked the book out of the out of the library, and it and and it went into this incredible detail showing how these characters were all related, and it was all it was this brainchild of a Hugo Award winning author named Philip Jose Farmer. So that book just blew me away, and I'm, years later I found my own copy and reread it found out that he had written a book previous to that called Tarzan Alive, which talked about the same stuff. And I became obsessed with this concept. And But really nobody else, nobody else understood it. Nobody else got it. No People would just look at me like I was weird when I would talk about it. So cut forward to uh, 1998, and I'm hanging out with Donna Moore when she was still working at Shrack in their old offices. And it was like back then, it was like only the, you know, nobody, very few middle class to poor people had high speed internet. So they used to have Donna working late till about midnight, and I'd go hang out with her, and she'd let me play around on the internet. And after years of looking for other people into Wald Newton, I stumbled across this website called the Wald Newton Universe. And this guy named Winscott Eckert had compiled all this information on his website. And I just started like, I said, Donna, can I print this stuff out? And she said, yeah, it's not my printer. So I just started, you know, copying everything he had, just sheet after sheet, using the hole puncher and put it in a big binder. So it was like, even though I couldn't get on the internet myself, at home I had this huge binder full of all this information. Also, before that, had decided to write my own Walt Newton article showing how Tarzan was the father of British spy uh, goddess Modesty Blaze, and and I saw that this guy on this website was accepting articles. So I wrote an art. I I I've written the article, sent it into him, and he put it on his website. And uh, this guy Win Eckert and I became friends, and he started like a secret internet group and so there's like people from all over the world that were just as obsessed with this thing as me and we all collaborated started collaborating on articles together helping each other out with you know this concept 
Win Eckert, Dennis Power, Christopher, Paul Carey, uh, Matthew Baugh, John Small, Loki Carbus, Brad Mingle, a bunch of us. And it was like we, we, formed, we became like this tight group of friends. A couple of years later, uh, some of us actually went to San Diego Comic-Con, and we did this three years in a row where we did panels talking about Walt Newton. And then we had a book published called Myths for the Modern Age, where my Daughters of Tarzan article was published. And then we actually got to go to Philip Jose Farmer's house and meet him like the year before he died. Uh, all of them, a lot of them are now professional writers. My friend uh, Christopher Paul Carey, who was one of our, a member of our group, is now in charge of publishing at Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc., the the company that owns Tarzan and all those characters. And, and we still, we get together every year, like Pulp Fest and stuff like that and hang out. And it's, it's like this fun little tribe of geeks. Okay. And there's also Wynn Eckert's, uh, Walt Newton universe website. Uh, I'm actually, it's funny because if you actually look up modesty blaze, if you go to the modesty blaze Wikipedia page, it references my, uh, article. I think also on the Tarzan Wikipedia page, it references my theory. Several of my Walt Newton friends uh, started a, uh, a publishing company called Meteor House, and where they've printed a lot of uh, lost works of Philip Jose Farmer, published a lot of his short stories, and actually uh, published continuations of some series that he'd started with new authors. Uh, my friend uh, Wynn Eckert got to finish a novel that uh, Philip Jose Farmer had started about the granddaughter of a bronzed adventurer. No, the daughter of a bronzed adventurer. And my friend Christopher Paul Carey got to continue Philip Jose Farmer's ancient Opar series. And I just and and the uh, the the president of Meteor House is my friend Mike Croteau, and I wanted to mention him too. I also want to talk about um, uh, you know collaborators. I love to collaborate on things, and I also love collaborating with my friends Donnie and Mimi Webb, uh, doing the haunted house, uh, whatever haunted house project we're doing, or just doing performance art together. You know, I, I have to mention them because uh, they uh, we're all part of Gaslight. We brought Gaslight back. Now that's and Gaslight Theater, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're both extremely talented, brilliant people, and they're fun to work with. But I also wanted to talk about some of the artists in Shreveport, current artists, who I really respect. Uh, one who was from the uh, days of Donna Moore and Donna Service, the, the days of Center for Contemporary Arts, as I would like to mention, I think she's the most incredible, brilliant, genius choreographer in northwest Louisiana, and probably north Louisiana, and that's uh, Renee Smith. She's incredible. But like some of the younger artists that I really admire, I really like Ben Moss. Uh, there's Micah Harold, who there's nothing he can't do from music to, you know, painting to tattoos. But Hillary Frazier is another really good artist, uh, extremely talented. Um, uh, Bill Jingles. Yeah, yeah. Alan Dyson. Well, of course. Yeah, I think I did mention Alan uh, yeah. before. Yeah, Alan. He's a musician. Alan and, and Donna Moore collaborated on several songs that are very special to me. And Alan, of course, does the uh, the house concerts. I mean, he's always working. Yeah, for our listeners, all these people can be located through Google. I think almost everybody has a website or a Facebook page by now. So 
if you'd like I'm to. Also, I'm also friends with, uh, with uh, your fir- the first show you did, uh, Bradley Massengill. In fact, a, 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 about a month ago, he had a, uh, a mole people show, and he asked for people to come in and do stuff, and I did a performance piece where I did the Savage Chuck character, came out uh, and shot people with a Nerf gun. Shot people in the audience. It was a lot of fun. But uh, Bradley's exceptional. I really love his music, and it's fun to work with him. And uh, I'm hoping he does a lot more. Uh, whether it's his Skyped concerts from his uh, from his from his living room, or whether he does more mole people shows. I really like his stuff. Not too long ago at Mini Cine, uh, Renee had a brand new piece, and I was just mesmerized. I was just absolutely enchanted because a lot of people had never seen her work before. They didn't, uh, they didn't even see her when she was running Escaped Images out at Centenary. You know, unfortunately, they closed that dance program down. But she, she's absolutely brilliant. And some of these people that I've been talking about her for so long said, okay, Chuck, I see what you mean now. I feel like we kind of glazed over your youth. Um, why don't we okay. go back? Why don't All we go right. back and talk about it some? Okay. Okay, uh, I, I was, uh, I'm the fourth of four kids. I, the first 12 years of my life, I grew up in Menden, Louisiana. It was a real cool house. Uh, Caddy Corner uh, across the street was a big library. So it was, I would go over there with my older sister, Nana, uh, until I could cross the street on my, by myself. And then, you know, I lived at the library. I always had books on my nightstand. My parents divorced like right after I was born, so I was I was raised by my mom, uh, my older brother, and two older sisters. Around 12, we moved to Albany, Georgia. Then at like 13 or 14, moved to uh, Clarksville, Georgia, with my mom and her uh, the guy she married. And then I got tired of that. And about 16, I moved back to Louisiana and lived with my dad uh, and his wife out in. Um, Dogwood, and I went to Airline High School. And uh, I always, I've always loved drawing. I've always loved comic books. Uh, good escapism. You got brothers and sisters? Yeah, my oldest brother Maurice. Uh, people around here know him because he's always on his bicycle. Uh, he, he he's a lawyer, but you know he also loves tinkering on bikes and, and talking more people into uh, riding bikes. Uh, he likes to go talk with city planning to make things better for bicyclists. Um, everybody knows Maurice. Uh, my oldest sister, Jenny Virginia, who's an actress, uh, well, retired actress. She lives in Pensacola, Florida with her husband, Steve. Uh, is my sister, Nana, who is, uh, she's got three kids. They're all grown. My brother, Maurice, has twins. Uh, uh, Henri and Michelle. Henri's a school teacher. Michelle's an actress in, uh, LA. Uh, my sister Nana has three kids. Her oldest is named Xander. He's a he's a computer guy in California. Uh, my my really cool niece Liz, who works with my sister at a community renewal, and my nephew Dan, who is a, a CPA in in Manhattan, but is also a musician. And they're all, so they're all grown and. No grand nieces or nephews yet. You have anything else you'd like to say? Um, I'm not really an asshole. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I've been known to uh, criticize, you know, make my voice known about, you know, 
art organizations that I feel like aren't living up to or being living up to their potential or being what the art community really needs. And uh, I've been labeled asshole for that. Uh, there might have been like, you know, some artists that I might have criticized, but I really think I've moved beyond that. Because one of the things that being a K-pop fan has, has taught me is that promote what you love and just if you, if there's something you don't like there's there's no point in criticizing it you know that rule doesn't apply for politics but uh you know if i don't like somebody's art if i think somebody's lame it's like there's no point in talking about it i would rather just promote what i love from now on i'm trying to follow that philosophy but yeah i'm i'm trying not to be an asshole in that regard and you found the zen of working at uh on a grounds crew yeah, yeah. Whether it's uh, uh, putting in irrigation systems or uh, just because I love, I always love digging in the dirt, uh, pulling weeds, mowing grass, uh, edging, uh, pruning trees, climbing up in a tree with a with a chainsaw. You know, I do it all. Or, or just picking up cigarette butts that people have thrown down. Uh, I, I get to be outside all day and I'm listening to K-pop and. You know, I've got working at the hospital's cool. I get all the benefits, uh, insurance, and all that stuff, and and it and it pays nice. I like the pay, and the hours are from six to two thirty, so that gives me plenty of time for Renzi afterwards. Well, uh, I want to ask you for some words of wisdom. Well, uh, my friend Levette, uh, who's now a councilwoman, now on the Shreveport City Council. Uh, whenever she talks about me, she says that I am a fierce defender of kids' rights to be kids. And I wear that mantle proudly. Uh, kids should have a right to be a kid, to enjoy their youth. And that's one of the things I love doing at the Renzi Center is like helping them develop the skills to show that incredible imagination that they have. You know, instead of just, you know, letting it be push down like society does it, you know, like society tells them they're freaks or unnatural or something, I would rather them, you know, look, you f find your medium, because every kid is an artist, just, I just help them, and, and, and I don't tell, the, I don't help them to develop their artistic skills just to try to become a professional artist, because, you know, not everybody can be a professional artist, but, you know, anybody can work their nine to five job and still go home and paint a picture or write a poem, whether it's, you know, even if it's not, even if nobody else looks at it, you know, that's the important thing is finding an outlet to express themselves. And that's the most important thing. That's why, that's why kids should learn art, not because they are going to become professional artists some days, but because they need that outlet. Kids got stuff to say too. And it's, and it's powerful and it's, and it's it is dramatic and it's uh it's it's intense. Yeah, one thing that uh, the Shreveport Regional Arts Council does that I'm very pro for is uh, their art break. Oh, art break! Shrack does a lot of great things. I you know I've never just uh, I've never criticized Shrack for being Shrack. You know, little things here and there they might do I'll criticize, but no, I'm glad Shrack exists. Uh, if Pam Atchison hears us by chance, thank you, Pam. Thank you for all you do, because I, I do appreciate that Shrek exists. I also forgot to mention, you know, uh, you and I are on the board of another organization called Works in Progress. 
and uh, working with uh, with uh, Alan Dyson and um, and Debbie. You know, that's uh, it, that's I, I, that's a very fulfilling thing because you know, if uh, if for the people that you know can't you know might be overlooked by Shrek, they can work with us. You know, we're there for them.